Good morning. Please take your Bibles and uh, turn to Luke, the 15th chapter. So Luke chapter 15, I'll be reading uh, verses 10 through the end of the chapter. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Hear the word of the Lord. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels and the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet never, but yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen. This is God's word. He'll bless us as we read and obey it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God Almighty. We thank you for your love for us that's demonstrated, illustrated in this parable. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, his gift of life to us, uh, for his words, and for this time now, Lord, where we can join together and think of you, your words, your truth, your purpose in our lives. And Lord, we lay our hearts before you in Jesus' name. Oh Lord, speak to us, that we'll know your truth, we'll know your love, we'll know with confidence our relationship with you. So God bless us now in these ways, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm assuming 
You've heard of guilt by association. You know what that is. You hang around with bad people. You get associated with bad people. And I'm assuming that if you hang around with bad people, you're as bad as the bad people you hang around with. Guilt by association. I don't think we have that problem in the church. I don't think we have that problem here at Tiburon Baptist Church. No guilt by association. However, we have a different problem. Uh, I term that guilt... Uh, I rephrase that, not guilt by. I rephrase, I rephrase that as innocence by association. Not guilt by association, it's innocent. Innocence by association. If I associate with good people long enough, people think I'm good. If I use the vocabulary of people long enough, people think I'm good. If, if I talk the right way, if I do the right things, if I act like innocent people, people think that, that I'm innocent. I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. And if I, if I come to church long enough, and if I associate with folks like you long enough, maybe you'll start thinking that, that I'm born again, that I know Jesus. And maybe I'll think I know Jesus. And I'll never get to that core place where I ask myself deep in my heart, have I ever really come to know the Lord? Testimony of a friend of mine who, a uh, former employee of the seminary, said, while he was working on his Ph.D. at Southwestern, he came under conviction that he had never, in fact, truly committed himself to the Lord or accept Jesus as his Savior. He'd gone through every hoop. He'd gone through every interview, every permission, every approval. And sometime in his life, he had an event where he confronted himself and God and said, Do I really know Jesus? And he cites his salvation moment from then, not from before. So this morning, I want us to look at the, the prodigal son. And I want us to look and ask and explore what are the elements of salvation that are contained in this passage, in this story from Jesus. And have I embraced them? Is that where I live? Is that true about me? And I want us to do three things. I want, one of you, I want all of you all to do one of three things today. One of them, I want you to read this and say, Phil, Amen. That's what God's done in my life, and I celebrate that. Some of us, and some days me, need to read this passage and say, that's true for my life then, but it hasn't been as true lately as it should have been. And I need to make a, a recommitment of my life to Jesus. And some of you have been here and maybe have never made that decision, I want to follow Jesus. I need to be born again. And today, at the end of this service, there's going to be opportunity, after we celebrate the Lord's Supper, for you to come and make one of those decisions public. And I hope somebody will contemplate them and see them and respond, because we need to make sure that the things, the elements of salvation are true in our lives. And so I think the prodigal son helps us understand those things very well. Verses 18 through 20 and 21 read the following. He, The Bible says he decides he doesn't like his life in the foreign country, and he says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. And so he got up and went to his father and uh, saw his father. His father responds to him. And then in verse 21, he goes ahead and says the same, repeats his phrase, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
in our world and in our churches sometimes, and maybe even in this church on occasions, we have made repentance too brief and too insignificant. We've made repentance too easily done. Sometimes repentance looks like it's a a quick, I'm sorry. Have you ever heard anybody in their confession, in their admission, in their repentance say something like, I'm sorry if I offended you? My sorriness is conditional. My amount of sorry is conditional upon your degree of offense. Not that I violated a standard or law or a rule or I violated God's purposes. I'm sorry if I offended you. Have you heard anybody, sometimes public figures, admit to very difficult, very wrong things and explain them by saying, I made a mistake? I made a mistake. Have you ever had an apology, or maybe you, like me, have made an apology, where you said something like, I didn't mean it? Oh, well, if you didn't mean it, it it must be okay. We come and we look at our sin and we minimize it. And we don't recognize the significance or the, the degree, the severity of our sin. We put it off and just say, oh, it's just natural. Oh, it's not that bad. Maybe you're like that. Some of the indicators that maybe you haven't truly considered or repented of your sins, found them as inappropriate, as violations of God like God does. How how can you tell if you've been doing that? Well, do you take pleasures in your memories of sin? When you think about your sins, do you find remorse or pleasure? Do you find yourself ever with your friends or somebody else bragging about your sinful behavior? Do you take pleasure? Do you brag about it? Do you minimize the significance of it? When I worked with the alcoholics, they have a thing called euphoric recall. And that means they get almost an intoxication effect from thinking about their use of intoxicants. Do you ever have euphoric recall about your sins? Have you truly repented like the prodigal son did? The prodigal son repented of his sins and he recognized the severity and the nature of them. First off, he realized that his sins weren't just against uh, making somebody upset or, or angering somebody or offending somebody else. He realized that his sins were first against God. Father, I've sinned against heaven, not just other people. That sins aren't simply being offensive to others, but they violate God's will, God's standard, God's truth. That we don't compare ourselves, or we ought not to compare ourselves to others. Well, compared to Him, I'm not that bad. Well, what I did wasn't as bad as what He did or what she did. Well, I, I'm, I'm okay when I'm... No, I'm not compared to other people. My life, my sin, my standing before God is in, in relationship to Him and His holiness which is absolute. I'm not ranked, I'm not in a competition or a ranking with how good or bad you are. It doesn't matter how much above or below my moral behavior is with you. It's how it compares to God Almighty. And probably a better translation, a different translation of Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you as he says, I've sinned against heaven and before you that he actually sees that there's a variance here, that that his sins are truly against Almighty God, not just against others. 
He recognized that his sin was in relationship to Almighty God. And then he realized that sin doesn't just damage or fracture or hurt a relationship, but it severs that relationship. The the relationship between this son and his father was voided. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Did he realize the severity of his sins separated, terminated, ended that relationship? And then those sins that he is aware of, that he's experienced, leads to despair and death. Can you imagine the Jewish boy out feeding pigs? Gets up in the morning and thinks, well, I'm going to go spend the day with those vile, unclean pigs today. And I've never worked on a farm, pig farm. I have been to a pig farm. And let me tell you, the house I was visiting that was adjacent to the pig farm smelled like the pig farm. And I got a feeling when he went home at the end of the day, he smelled like the pig farm. And he saw that in his life and saw the despair for that. And not only was it a life of despair, it led to death. He was starving to death and wished he could eat the the feed he was feeding to the pigs. He realized that his sin led to despair and death. And Scripture reminds reminds us of that also. And that Scripture repeatedly tells us that our sin doesn't just fracture or damage or impair our relationship with God, but it severs it and it leads to an eternity without Christ. And rigorous repentance has to recognize the cost. And Romans 4.25 tells us that Jesus, the Scripture says, He was delivered over to death for our sins. And so when I contemplate my sin... I need to see that it's not something minor, not something insignificant, not something to be passed over lightly, but that my sins separated me from God, made me unworthy to be His child, and caused the death of Christ on the cross. That I caused His death. And so we need to discover from this that God is convicting us of our sins and take them seriously. The second part of this passage that I want us to notice is that that story, the prodigal son's experience, leads to a relationship restored. And so has your relationship with Christ truly been restored? Secular writer on social issues writes about a lady named Roberta Gilbert, talks about the human relationships and says, In the realm of the purely personal, after food and water and shelter, the quality of relationships most often determines the quality of life. It's not how much stuff you have. It's not how good your address is. It's not how good your view is. It's what's the quality of your relationships. And the Bible tells us here, the story that Jesus tells, tells us of a a relationship that's restored. And notice the actions of the Father in verse 20, the second part of that verse. But while he, the Son, was still a long way off, his Father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The relationship was restored. The father was filled with compassion. He's no longer, or he's not, judging, he's not condemning, he's simply forgiving. James reminds us that mercy triumphs over judgment. And it's certainly true in the story of the prodigal son and of our relationship with with God. Here this story tells us that this Wealthy father, who I will assume 
had all the trappings of his wealth and all the dignity of his wealth and the personal respect and, and the expectation of those around him to respect him. He had all of those trappings in his life. It would be natural and appropriate for him. But he throws aside all of those uh, elements of the oriental despot, the ruler, he throws those aside. Rulers, important people, landowners did not run to others. They came to them. But the father throws all that aside and goes running to his son. His actions are that he is filled with compassion. He runs to his son. He kisses his son. He makes the declaration that his son, who was thought to be dead, is now alive, or was dead to them, who was lost, is now found, and he is born again. Now, my point for this is that I bet the son was fully aware of that. The son had no doubt that his dad ran to him, hugged him, loved him, kissed him, cared for him. If there's any part of your heart or your life that says, I don't know if I know. I'm not sure if I'm a child of God. I wonder if I'm truly God's son, if I've been born again. If there's any doubt in there, my assumption is because it's not true. The son knew he was received by the father. And if you haven't had that same reception by the father, I wonder if you need to consider, have I truly made a decision to follow Christ? Am I truly born again? Scripture tells us that, we, that this happens to us and we should know. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, he gave to them the power to become the children of God. If you've, been, if you've received the power to become the child of God, you certainly should know that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life. So that if, there's, if there's any question, any concern, any uncertainty, make certain that you have made that decision, that you have passed from death to life. All those who have, know. Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are His sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, and the Spirit calls out, Abba, Father. That those who are in Christ know they're in Christ. Those who have been born again know they're born again. And the Son had no uncertainty about that. And so those who the Son illustrates for us, those who are in Christ have had a rigorous repentance. They, they've faced their sin and they've come to God and said, God, I don't deserve to be your child anymore. I don't deserve to be your child. And God has said to them, Oh, son, oh, daughter, let me hug you. Let me love you. Let me bring you back into my family. And they know that. And then the third part of this is the reception was rich. When you come to Christ, God gives you a great blessing and a great reception. Verse 22 through 23. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. If you're in Christ, the reception was robust. It was rich. Notice the elements that the father gives to the son. The best robe. Go get the best robe and put it on him. He's been wearing those, those pig clothes and that, that long walk clothes. And the father says, take that robe off of him and put the best robe on him. And the Bible finds, or you'll find that robes are important in the Bible. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. The, the first action God does with Adam and Eve is, is to give them new garments. He makes clothing for them after they realize they're naked and they're ashamed. And, and God gives them clothing. 
Joseph had a richly ornamented coat, a gift from his father, the, the, the coat of favoritism. And so that robe was important to him. Tamar, David's daughter, wore a richly ornamented coat that only the virgin daughters of the king wore. The coat's important in Elijah and 1 Kings. Elijah puts his cloak onto Elijah as his call to ministry. Later on, when Elijah is taken in heaven, Elisha takes that cloak and strikes the Jordan, says, where is the God of Elijah? And walks across the Jordan. And so... Coats are important in the Bible, and the Son is given this coat that is a sign, the symbol of sonship, of His relationship, of His uh, His relationship with His Father. He's given this coat. He's also given the ring as a sign of authority, and, and rings are also important in Scripture. Pharaoh gives a signet ring to Joseph and says, you have the authority of Pharaoh over all of Egypt. You remember also uh, in Esther that King Xerxes first gives the signet ring, the sign of authority to Haman who schemes and scams and wants to do evil to the Jews. And then later on, that same ring is given to Mordecai. And Mordecai then has the authority over the kingdom. And so the son is given the best robe. He's given the ring and then thrown a great party. Now, how do we know it's a great party? Because the elder son on his way back hears it from a far away. Hey, what's going on? There's a party there. Why are they having the party? And we're not going to talk about the son today. But the father gave the son the robe, the ring, and this party that, that he was no longer outcast. He's no longer stinking with the contamination of that uh, coat and the pig slop. He's now the honored guest. And he was immediately aware that his father had given him those gifts. Notice also that we, in similar fashion, receive gifts from God. When you're born again, you're, you're born again, you receive salvation, you're clothed in Christ. Paul wrote and said, you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Ephesians, he wrote and said that we put on a new self, we are created to be like God. Another gift that we receive in salvation is the Holy Spirit. In John, Jesus said, he, will li- he lives with you and will be in you. That we have the Holy Spirit when we're born again. We receive the gifts of the Spirit. Those are accounted for, recorded in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. But notice 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Each of you should use your gift. That means if you're born again, you have a gift. And if you have a gift, you should be using your gift. Now, it's one of my contentions that if you have a gift, you should be aware of it. And if you're unaware of the gifts, the spiritual gifts that God's given you for ministry, I wonder if you have them. Another element to that is the congregation around you should recognize your giftedness. That's part of what we do with with ordination. As Baptists, we, we promote the idea of ordination, and we see in that part of what the ordination process is to say, that we see in this individual the gifts of ministry and the calling, and we set that person aside for ministry. We see the gifts, we see the exercise of the gifts, and we promote and endorse them. Well, here's a question for you. If nobody's ever, if, rephrase it, if you've never noticed which gift you had, and nobody around you ever noticed which gift you had. I wonder 
do you have a gift? And Paul says, every one of you in Christ received a gift. And if you don't have a gift and you're not aware of your gift, maybe you need to explore that more. Or maybe you need to ask, do I have a gift because have I been faithful to the Lord? Have I given myself to Christ? And so the Scripture teaches us that first the Son was repentant of His sins. That relationship was restored and the product of that restored relationship is the gifts of the Father to the Son. And do you have those gifts? Are you someone who's born again and knows the Lord? So this morning I go back to my beginning statement. Where are you in this? Three options. I'm born again, I'm walking, serving, faithful to the Lord, and you need to rejoice in that relationship. Another place would be, yeah, I did that, but you know what? I haven't been living a life of repentance and and expression of my gifts and celebration of my salvation. And and I need to make a new decision, a new commitment to to follow the Lord. Or maybe you're here today and you can honestly say, Phil, I come to church. I participate. But I've never made that repentance. I've never experienced that rebirth, that that new birth of Christ. And, And I'm unaware of my gifts and my service to Him. There's been no celebration. And if that's a fact, today be a great day. Today's the day. For you to come forward and after we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Glenn will be here and you can come and say, Glenn, I need you to pray for me. I need to make these decisions, one of these decisions in my life to follow the Lord better and differently. So please join me in prayer. Father God, we do thank you that you are God who knows us and loves us. We thank you for the story of the prodigal son and all the lessons that it gives us. But Lord, today help us to contemplate seriously our sin, our relationship with you, and our service in your kingdom. And so God, do this now in Jesus' name. Amen.